0: You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very happy to welcome back Deacon Andy Demas from St Anne Catholic Church in Santa Fe. Welcome back. Hello
1: there, Father. I mean, Father Rabbi. <laughs> I'm used to saying Father.
0: <laughs> so um, let's talk about about yourself. Last time you were on this show, it was part of a larger discussion. You know, can you tell us to, just to start off, with the Catholic Church? Can you tell us about its history? Maybe its its main beliefs. Um, where Where does one start if one is explaining the Catholic Church?
1: Well, I don't know. There's two levels, I guess, that come to mind. One is my personal level in terms of my faith and understanding and how I've gotten to where I am, and that uh, could be discussed. And then the Catholic Church itself, um, there's a long and wonderful history, and uh, as I mentioned in the earlier broadcast, I'm a big picture kind of guy, so I love the scriptures in terms of the first book of the Bible, Genesis all the way through Revelation, and it helps me Uh, in my personal life and in my ministry, to understand the world in a much better way by understanding the Word of God in conjunction with my experience and uh,
0: what God expects of us. So let's let's focus perhaps on the personal, in the sense when you say that the Bible helps you to understand the world, how is it that such an ancient text— can speak to you in such a different world to the world in which it was written?
1: Well, I guess uh, I would have to say that uh, God in his uh, awesome power created every one of us and everything as a unique uh, thing, individual uh, entity. And so we all have our personal experience. And my first awareness of God was not in the church. Uh, I grew up in Albuquerque and On the west side of town and in those days you could still see the stars. (laughs) I don't know if you still can or not. There's so many lights but I remember looking up at the stars and just coming to the realization that there is a God in heaven and that was the beginning of my faith and uh, beyond that uh, there's a lot of experiences and um, I ended up, I was in Vietnam for a year as a combat medic and it came Closer to God there, and uh, determined that I would set uh, goals for my life and i don 't want to get into too much detail, but I thought, if I have to work for a living which i 'm going to have to uh, why not do something you enjoy so I um, majored in wildlife management mm. I took advantage of the g i bill, so I earned a bachelor 's degree and a master 's degree in wildlife management and uh, wasn't really close to the church for quite a while, but came to an awareness through some personal experiences with the church. And again, I won't go into detail. But as I began to understand the relationship with God's plan in my personal life and the word of God, it's just things came together.
0: So, but coming back to that question, though, maybe I should reframe it because that's that's a very interesting history, which I, I if it's okay, I do want to ask questions about afterwards. The Bible is a book that talks about um, stoning people to death. It talks about slavery. You know, it, it accepts slavery. It talks about going into the land and killing the people in the land. How can a book like that speak to a society like ours today? How, how, does, how do you find meaning in that text?
1: I, I see it as a, kind of like a dance, I guess you could say, is that God uh, in his awesome greatness interacts with peoples and individuals. And so it's, it's really a story of human history all the way from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve committed the original sin, which caused what I call chaos. And it's been that way since But God sent the prophets, and he interrelated, like the story about uh, King David. He uh, messed up. He sinned with Bathsheba, and he realized he did wrong, and he came to the conviction of his wrongdoing and repented. And then God blessed him uh, with descendants, including Jesus, not the least of which is, and promised him an everlasting kingdom. So God works with people, with creation through time. And things happen because of – usually because of people's misdeeds. But there's a Spanish proverb that goes, no hay mal que por bien no venga, which is really scriptural, which means there's nothing bad happens that God can't make good out of it. And God is always attempting to make good come out of bad. So he works with us through the course of human history to come to enlightenment and ultimately salvation.
0: We're We're at very different theological places here, which is fascinating and and, and definitely for me interesting to explore. One of the things you spoke about was um, God's plan. And and then when you talked about original sin, does that mean that the sin, as you see it, because I don't see them eating the apple as a sin. uh, But do you see sin as part of a divine plan? I see
1: sin as a consequence of man's um, disobedience to God and the intervention of an enemy, Satan, the devil, or adversary that wants to cause destruction. And so God has a plan of salvation that is best depicted in the garden before the fall, what we call the fall of original sin. Everything was in perfect harmony. They didn't even need clothes. Everything was provided for them. There was no enmity, separation with God. He visited with them. And then when they transgressed, whatever word you want to use, uh, it wasn't an apple, according to the Bible. No, definitely. It was fruit. Uh, it just says fruit. fruit of the tree of disobedience, the only commandment that God gave. So it was disobedience. So that's where the problem is, as we see it, is that when we, as individuals of free will, determine that we're going to go basically against God, there's going to be consequences, to that and those consequences we feel and uh, happen in our lives in, in various ways. So but God is always trying to bring us back to what the original plan is.
0: Right. So there is a plan, but we can not everything is planned is is what you're saying. We have the free will to go against God's plan. Exactly. <laughs> I guess partly, you know, for me, a human plan that makes sense. But going against a plan of creator of the universe seems like almost it's not a very good plan. It's not. <laughs> well, but, then, but then how can God's plan not be a very good plan?
1: No, God's plan is perfect.
0: But if the plan includes the fact that we can rebel against the plan, doesn't that make it not a very good plan?
1: Well, I can't explain everything. But I can say that based on the scriptures, the Bible, and I believe we have the same basic text in the Old Testament – I can't swear to that – but uh, that God uh, created us in his image and likeness. Right. So part of the purpose of life is for us to attain that divine nature. We are infused with the soul. In the beginning, God created us from the dust of the earth, and he breathed the breath of life, which is the spirit into us, and no other creature was given that uh, gift. Right, And so God wants us to come to fulfillment in his plan of salvation by uh, carrying out uh, his will. But he gives us the free will to not do it. And when we don't do it, we get into trouble. It's- so
0: it's interesting that you bring up this um, idea of uh, the separation, the distinctiveness, uniqueness of God breathing the nefesh chaya, this soul into however you translate soul, and soul is already a very loaded word, I know, into Adam, um, and that that didn't happen with the animals, does that mean that we are different to the rest of the created order in your philosophy and theology? Indifferent in
1: the way that I expressed it in terms of my understanding is that we are the only ones in all of creation. All of creation was created by God. So it has a sanctity to it and a purpose and only man, meaning men and women, were created in the image and likeness of God with a unique nature. So our nature is unique uh, in terms of whatever purpose God has in creating mankind. And along with that gift was this uh, ability to decide for ourselves. And that's when we get into trouble, when our decisions conflict with God's intent.
0: You mentioned that this proverb earlier, um that nothing bad happens that god can't make good yes and i i look at the history of the world and think there are so many examples of so many bad things that just didn't become good I, what my concern here what my challenge my my problem and hopefully you can help me with this problem is that if we say There's nothing bad that can't become good. We're not really accepting the bad. Because what we're doing is we're denying it and saying, well, it it wasn't really that bad because actually something good happened much later. You know, when uh, Isaiah talks about God who creates good and, and creates evil, isn't it okay to say, no, there are some terrible things that happen in this world and that are just unequivocally terrible why does why does there have to be something good coming from bad things?
1: I can't explain God's will, but I believe that God uh in his wisdom and power and knowledge uh attempts to work with his creation to make the good come out of it. But good isn't necessarily gonna come unless we have a willingness on the part of whoever committed the offense or had the offense committed to them to see the good. Let's say forgiveness. Somebody offends you or someone in your family and you're upset about it and you're mad and all kinds of negative things can come out of it. If you practice the teachings, which is in primarily forgiveness, reconciliation, then a stronger and better relationship can come of it. And it can happen through countries, but, you know, we know it doesn't. I right. myself served in Vietnam and saw the horrors of war and uh, – There surely is some good that came out of it, but I can't – I don't have the mind of God. I can't say what good came out of all the different wars and tragedies that have happened in humankind.
0: But that's a really interesting theological position to take, which I've never heard before, and I'm I'm really intrigued by it, which is I don't – it's more than I don't understand. I see things. They look terrible, but because I believe that God is good – I think, uh, is the underlying assumption here. Because I believe that God is good. This thing that looks terrible to me must ultimately be good. I just don't understand how.
1: I guess maybe we're not communicating or I'm not communicating well. I'm not saying that the bad is good. Uh, The bad things that happen, I think, are, again, usually related to some kind of disobedience to the word of God, be it the Ten Commandments or other things that we know are right and wrong and we know these things in our heart. But... If we are able to understand God's word in conjunction with these things, we can make good come out of it.
0: But what you're talking about is moral evils. When we have things like natural evils like earthquakes and, and you know, disasters that, um, that can kill thousands of people or tens of thousands of people, can we really say good can come from that?
1: I guess I really couldn't answer the question. Uh, I do know that God created, uh, believe that God created the whole universe and that things happen that we don't always understand. There have been earthquakes, there's been volcanoes, there's been hurricanes, and people die in those things. Uh, I can't explain why God created the world the way he did, But I do know that the things that we do to the world are certainly causing lots, probably worse problems. But that's kind of another discussion. No, I totally
0: sympathize with that. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about the Catholic Church in general and and, and what that means for you in terms of its own spirituality and and, and beliefs. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, Deacon Andy Demas from St. Anne Catholic Church. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Deacon Andy Demas from St. Anne Catholic Church here in Santa Fe. We've been having a really fascinating discussion about personal, your personal theology and me trying to um, understand where you're coming from to teach me, which is, is has been very interesting so far, a very different theological perspective, which I'm learning from. Very often when we talk, when we have religious um, discussions, you and I, you'll say the Catholic Church believes or the Catholic Church says. What's the relationship between, say, a deacon and the Catholic Church? Um, Is there flexibility of thought? Does the Catholic Church say, no, this is how things are? How does it work?
1: Well, I guess I would have to get into kind of the nature of the church, and uh, we believe that... uh, the fullness of truth was uh, revealed in different ways by God in our conscience, in our knowledge of right and wrong, in the Old Testament scriptures, and most fully revealed through Christ himself. And so uh, the church was established—I uh, uh, I call it Judeo-Christian because our church is founded on the foundation of the descendants of Abraham which is talked about in the Old Testament, and fulfilled through the New Testament, the New Covenant, with Jesus Christ, the apostles, and the disciples. So Jesus founded a church, and he said to Peter, You are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church uh, from the beginning had leaders, Peter, and then successors to him, which we call now the popes, an apostolic succession, and there's been a line of succession and things were more formalized over time with uh, rules and the teachings of the church, which is sacred tradition. And through that course of time, we end up to the point we are today with clergy, clerics, which are priests and deacons and other religious orders. Right. And a deacon in the Catholic church is a cleric uh, with faculties, but not the same faculties as a priest. Right. And so – In my case, it was later in life that, uh, unless you want to hear how that happened, uh, that I came to become a deacon in the church.
0: So I have to go back, by the way, when you say, when you mentioned Judeo-Christian, because for me, that's not a term I would ever use. Interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, I'm I'm just sharing it. I'm not denying your use of it. For me, as you said, in your belief, it became that the Hebrew Bible was fulfilled later, Mm -hmm. uh, this sort of replacement theology that that Judaism naturally led into Christianity. And and for me as a Jew, I would say, for me it doesn't. And so for me, there's a a very strong Jewish tradition and a Christian tradition, and I understand some of the basis, the the very essential Jewish basis of Christianity, but also that it moved away in a different way and that for me is the joy of interfaith dialogue actually right. not that we're the same or that one has replaced but that we are we have differing expressions of spirituality and that's what holds us as as that's what brings us together in relationship i think okay. so so let me ask when you say there are different faculties i'm i i don't quite understand are you able to 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 give your own readings of something are you able to say to me the bible says this or to me Um, I believe this or is there a a set doctrine in the church?
1: There is a set doctrine in the church and whether you're a priest or a deacon you should uh, not be in conflict as far as what a deacon might preach or a priest might preach anywhere in the world. And the way that consistency comes about is by number one, the scriptures themselves and the Catholic Church identifies 72 books in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. In non-Catholic Christian, there's some that were removed during the Protestant Reformation, but we have all of them. And so we have the same set of scriptures worldwide. And then we have the actual sacred – what we call sacred tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. So in addition to having the scriptures, we have the – I call it formation that Jesus did with the disciples over three years in a deacon formation. We have four years of instruction and Jesus instructed his disciples over the course of three years before you know he uh, established the church. And so that sacred tra- tradition is contained primarily in the catechism of the Catholic church. And it doesn't explain everything, but it's the teachings of the church and understanding of the Bible. So uh, there should be no difference. Uh, maybe one deacon or priest may say things slightly different, but basically the message they give should be consistent with the teachings of the magisterium of the
0: church and the scriptures. So. so who sets that? Who who sets the teachings of the Catholic Church?
1: The teachings are formulated uh, through the uh, if we're looking at today through, well, it's not just today through councils. There's been disagreements on different issues, the nature of, of Christ, and there was a first council in Nicaea to define that. And Peter and and, and uh, Paul had a dispute about Baptist, about um, what do you call it? circumcision, and so that was resolved through the first council. Mm-hmm. There's been a number of councils since that. So when there's disagreement, then the Pope, who's the head and successor to Peter, calls together the council of bishops, and they uh, discuss the last one's Vatican uh, Six, I think it was called, and uh, it it made some changes in direction and not so much direction, but everything has to be consistent with Scripture. So no matter what they come up with in terms of the teaching of the Church. It's, it's really a unity. It needs to be consistent with Scripture. And then it's published and it's put out. And
0: But it doesn't explain everything. But when you say something has to be consistent with, stri- with Scripture, two weeks ago we had Pastor Tiago on the show, and he was talking about how um, from a very postmodern perspective of there is no Scripture. There's Scripture plus reader. The idea that we can't say Scripture says. We can only say Scripture says to me. The way I read Scripture is – is there for you any of that sense of um, I can read scripture this way and you can read scripture that way, or is there one specific way to read scripture as well? And if so, who determines that?
1: The scriptures are uh, interpreted by the church, and so it isn't a question of it is outside of the church, a Catholic Church. You know, outside of the Catholic Church, the non-Catholic Christians, uh, many of them, have this term. A, scripta solera, or only scripture, a ah, okay. word of God and of the Bible only, in other words, in simple words. But the Catholic Church doesn't, uh, it's not even in the scriptures, is what I understand. Uh, so we have to have an understanding of scripture. And again, it doesn't give all the answers, but you could go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it's available online as well. And you can look at the church's teaching, whether it relates to, abortion or end-of-life issues or all kinds of different issues and it's supported by the councils again of the that have happened over time by the inspiration of saints by the guidance of the holy spirit and so that uh the major body of knowledge is contained within the catechism that's what we teach in church
0: so can that reading ever change can there be as we grow in our society you know i come from a a reformed jewish perspective whereby we say, wow, we, we had not seen that reading before. That's really interesting. You know, now that the world has developed in this way, we never considered maybe reading this text in this particular way. Is it possible for the catechism to change? It does.
1: It does change. And um, this is one area where I would like to see more change myself, but I'm just a deacon in the church. But I'm very consar- concerned about... Um, Environmental issues, Mm -hmm. the climate change, global warming and other environmental issues that uh, humans are doing, um, which create disorder in the world and uh, create a lot of problems in terms of hurricanes and what have you. And I would like to see the Catechism expanded in terms of formation for priests, in particular, and deacons, so that they get better educated, huh. because part of the Catechism, in ter- you know, it has to do with formation as well. Uh, the world changes, mm-hmm. and I think that. Uh, clerics, uh, everyone should be better informed and understand, again, based on the scriptures, you know, the order that God intended so that we take better care of the earth. It's all in line, should be in line with the scriptures, but things change mm. and so the catechism should be uh, not changing the scriptures, but in understanding what's happening in the world and applying it in terms of how we live our lives.
0: So can you uh, appeal for that? Can you? Can I, you? I have. Oh, well, I see. Okay. <laughs> I,
1: I wrote to the Pope. Really? Yeah. So, and,
0: and is it up to the Pope to determine what can be changed, or, or as you said, pope, th- there have to be, you know,
1: the Pope and the College of Bishops. The Pope can actually issue, and he does uh, encyclicals, and he did on the environment, to right. his credit, Laudato Si. Laudato Si. Right, and if, if anyone hasn't read it, uh, it's wonderful. It's not just about the environment. It relates to a lot of things that we're talking about. Sure. And so um, the pope can issue encyclicals, and he does on different issues. Uh, the human family, they're talking about those things and, and other things. But normally it's in the, in the council of the bishops. Just like a pope is elected, they have you know bishops, right. and the pope is a bishop, and he's the head of the church. And they have, uh, deliberate, and they have experts in different areas, and they contribute towards a dialogue, and end up with a teaching. So I,
0: I know we only have a few minutes left, and there's hundreds of questions I want to ask you. But since you mentioned the pope, I I know l- very little about papal infallibility, um, and but I keep hearing about it. So I'm wondering if you can share. You know, can, is the pope perfect or, or is it what the pope says is perfect? What does it mean?
1: Yes, papal infallibility, I think, is misunderstood. Mm. Uh, I did a little checking on it because I knew right. you were going to ask me that. <laughs> and uh, just to put it in perspective, um, I Googled and checked how many times the pope goes to confession and it's once every two weeks. Oh, OK. And I go to confession. And so the pope uh, or any individual is not infallible in the sense of perfect, no. But the pope, uh, the church, speaks of infallibility in terms of only two areas, and that has to do with faith and morals, basically church teaching. So when it has to do with doctrine, dogmas, uh, issues that relate to church teachings, uh, those are the areas that... With the guidance of the Holy Spirit and in council with bishops, when he issues a uh, infallible statement, which is rare, they don't, there are very few that are actually issued. Uh, then, yes, that as is done with uh, under the the title of infallibility.
0: So, so actually, a document is produced and says this is infallible. Just right. to be, that's very interesting. And does that mean that nobody in the future? can disagree like a pope in the future or the bishops in the future, does that mean they can't disagree with that? I wouldn't expect
1: them to. <laughs> I'd love <laughs> to be able knows? to say to people every time I speak, yeah. and
0: this is infallible.
1: Uh, but again, it's not on everything that comes up. Sure. It's only on specific topics and very few have been issued, uh, such as the, the – uh, Immaculate conception of Mary is given as an infallible statement that she was immaculately conceived. And that's one example. So there's not a lot of statements that are issued that are considered to be inval- infallible.
0: So they're more foundations of faith and morals. This is basically what we stand for. It's, it's not necessarily a scriptural reading or, or no. anything like that.
1: No, but in the catechism, there's, there's, uh, there's a – but we don't just say, you know, here's the Bible, you can believe whatever you want. Right. So the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, we believe, inspired Word of God. And in order to properly understand it, you need to also have the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can't just say, well, I think it's this. Well, you can say that, but that doesn't mean that that's church teaching.
0: I found this fascinating. You, I mean, you even just opened up another topic about inerrancy, um, which I would love to talk to you about. Um, so, But we, we've run out of time. So hopefully you'll be able to come back to our show again and and answer so many more questions and, and help teach us uh, um, about your faith. I would be happy to. Thank you. So um, thank you to Deacon Andy Demas from St. Anne Catholic Church. I genuinely really do appreciate you coming back on our show and and sharing your own personal journey um, and uh, and opening up a a really different way to to view faith. It's really been very interesting. Thank you. Thank you you for inviting me. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.